The Playmakers Blog presents Fire on High. Featuring your host, Tyler O. What's going on, everyone? You're tuning in to the Fire on High podcast. I am Tyler Rodinsky, and this is Tyler's 12 Tips for Week 2. The whole point of these podcasts is to deliver you concise fantasy advice in under 20 minutes. With that said, let's dive in. I am recording this on a Thursday before the Thursday night game, and you will likely be hearing this on a Friday. So this one needs to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. Pay attention to Joe Mixon's targets on the Thursday night game. 2019 was a tale of two seasons for Joe Mixon. The first half of 2019, he was barely a top 36 option at running back. He was barely a flex option. You couldn't even start him some weeks. But then the second half of 2019, he was a top 10 back. What was the difference? His role in the passing game, getting that coveted passing work. Halfway through the season, the Bengals realized, hey, Maybe this Mixon guy is pretty good at catching the ball. We should throw to him. Even though everyone who watches football knows that, for some reason, the Bengals didn't. We all expected the Bengals to remember that last half of 2019 going into 2020. But, after week one, I have no idea what happened. This dude saw two targets to Giovanni Bernard's five targets. And there's only a 59% snap rate for Mixon. They're not using him that much. I'm not sure what's going on. Sure, that could all change on the Thursday night game. But... If Mixon is continually not used in the pass game, you need to trade him away while he has value because we know what the floor looks like for Joe Mixon without passing game work, and it's hashtag not good. Go out and acquire the Steelers' Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson had a bit of an off week on the stat sheet as Juju went off for six targets, six catches, 69 yards, and two touchdowns, and James Washington also found a touchdown on only 34 yards, but the touchdown sticks out. Deontay Johnson had six catches on 57 yards. Definitely overshadowed by those two in week one. Nothing flashy. No TDs. But the peripherals are there. Deontay Johnson saw 32% of his team's targets. First on the team in week one. That's 10 targets, folks. He also tied Juju for the most wide receiver snaps on the team. 86%. And he ran 32 pass routes second on the team. He is clearly the number two guy in the pass game. Even though he's the number two, there is going to be games like week one where he out-targets Juju. This is a good thing. Add in the fact that he's a punt returner and there's some serious opportunity for Deontay Johnson this season. Now that Big Ben is back and he's looking good, wheels up on Deontay Johnson. Acquire him now before he blows up. He's a top 24 guy this season. Sit Melvin Gordon in week two. But Tyler, Philip Lindsay is going to miss the game due to injury. And Melvin has the backfield all to himself. I do not care. We are not starting running backs against the Steelers in 2020 unless we absolutely have to. Or they are elite. Melvin Gordon, I'm sorry, is no longer elite. Look at the Giants versus Steelers in week one. Freaking Ben Roethlisberger, all 6'5", 240 pounds at 38 years old, outrushed Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is one of the most elite talents in the run game. But Tyler, the Giants' O-line looked awful. Well, yes, it certainly did. Most O-lines are going to look pretty bad against that Steelers' front. Brandon Thorne of Establish a Run, he's an offensive line guru, he had the Giants' O-line ranked 21st of 32. Not that good. 
And then he had the Broncos ranked 26 of 32 teams. I do not think that this Broncos O-line is any better than the Giants O-line. So that in itself is a bad sign. There are a lot of factors at play when evaluating offensive lines, but I just simply do not see the Broncos offensive line finding any success against the Steelers D. I understand considering Gordon's draft capital that you cannot bench him. That's fine. I would just consider 10 points a win for Melvin Gordon week two. I would look elsewhere where there's a lot more upside. Guys I would start over Melvin Gordon this week. J.K. Dobbins, Kareem Hunt, James Robinson, and Naheem Hines all over Melvin Gordon in week two. Trade away Mark Ingram. I understand that reacting to just one week of football can be a bit dangerous, but I'd rather be one week ahead than one week behind when it comes to my running backs. From a film standpoint, Dobbins is simply a better running back than Ingram at this point in his career, point blank. From a statistical standpoint, literally everything was going Dobbins' way in week one. We expected this to be a running back by committee. That's not a surprise. But you really need to dive deep into the numbers or the statistics to see who the clear winner is. Dobbins saw 39% of the snaps to Ingram's 36. Not a huge difference, but noted. While the snap rate isn't that significant, J.K. Dobbins, 70% of his snaps were in two-minute situations, so important situations, and he got 100% of the Ravens running back attempts within the five-yard line. And that is what we like to see. Obviously, J.K. Dobbins didn't have any catches, which is a little bit concerning, but with that routes run statistic and his production in college, I expect that to change. The Ravens just did not need to toss the ball as they completely blew out the Browns. So in summary, he had the highest snap rate on the team among running backs. He's used in two-minute situations. He's used on the goal line, and he's running routes. These are the peripherals that are there in a winning Running back, we know the talent is there. I trust Harbaugh to play the better guy, and that guy is Dobbins. Get ahead of it. Trade away Mark Ingram. Don't trade him away for absolutely nothing, but I really think this is already going to be Dobbins' backfield. Acquire Logan Thomas. For starters, he's only 15% rostered on Yahoo Leagues right now, so acquiring him could literally be quite easy. Logan Thomas led his team in targets in week one with a total of eight targets. That's a 27% target share on the team. That is, you know, a small sample size, just one week, but 27% for a tight end is absolutely elite. While I totally expect Terry McLaurin to lead the team in targets, Logan could be the two, and at worst, the third passing option on this offense. He ran a route on 86% of the quarterback dropbacks and was targeted on 26% of his routes. He's used in the passing game. It's important to note that the Eagles are also quite stingy against the tight end, so his usage is promising. If Jason freaking Witten could finish 2019 as a tight end 11, so can Logan Thomas. The opportunity is there. This Washington football team offense isn't as putrid as we thought it would be. Is it going to be average? Maybe. It, at the worst, it's below average, but it's going to have some dudes who are fantasy relevant. And Logan Thomas is one of those players. Grab him, especially if you're counting on Blake Jarwin. Drop Justin Jefferson, B.C. Johnson, Kyle Rudolph, and Irv Smith Jr., all these guys are fine football players, and I think they're going to contribute to the Vikings' wins this year. The issue is, is their their snaps are cannibalizing each other's opportunities. One cannot thrive while the other is there. The snap rates and the targets tell the story. The Vikings are doing three things this year. Running the ball, passing the ball to running backs, and passing the ball to Adam Thielen. Barring an injury... None of these four guys are going to be worth rostering in standard size leagues. The offense just isn't that good, and it's going to run through Dalvin Cook, Thielen, and Madison. Just don't bother with these guys. I know there's a lot of hype around 
Irv Smith Jr. going into the season, but Kyle Rudolph is still a thing. I'm sorry, it's time to cut bait. Go out and acquire Jarek McKinnon. Just like Logan Thomas, he's available in a lot of leagues. First of all, happy to see McKinnon healthy and thriving. The 49ers were just as happy as they safely employed him as their number two back in week one. There's a chance that, you know, Tevin took a backseat because of the air quality. But the McKinnon usage was just really great to see. As expected, Raheem Mostert, the lead back, got a 60% snap rate. But it was surprising to see McKinnon get a 31% snap rate to Tevin's 10%. McKinnon also took over for Mostert whenever the 49ers were looking at third and long. And the majority of the time they were in the two-minute situation, McKinnon was on the field. These are, again, important moments in the game we saw McKinnon on the field. We know the number two back on the 49ers offense can be fantasy relevant. Make sure you get Jarek McKinnon on your bench. He has some upside, and he's basically free. The time has come to drop Mecole Hardman. Lots of hype around this guy going into the season. He's done some amazing things with the football in his hands. However, he's just not getting the opportunity. He's not on the field. He's not getting targets. He doesn't warrant a bench spot in regular size leagues. The hope was that we would see his usage increase in 2020, perhaps maybe even jump to Marcus Robinson for that number three role, but that was not the case. His 29% snap rate was safely fourth on the team, and this will not change barring injury. He is, however, the closest thing we have to a wide receiver insurance policy for Tyreek Hill. Acquire and start Russell Gage. I am in on Russell Gage as a flex play in any sort of PPR league. Gage has averaged almost eight targets a game since Sanu was traded, and has gotten 12 targets in week one. We obviously saw a large amount of attempts from Ryan, 54, versus Seahawks in week one, but we could easily see just as much, if not more, against the Cowboys in week two. As this game's implied total is three points higher than week one, and the Falcons are even bigger underdogs. I was off the Hayden Hurst train this offseason. I continue to be off that train. Gage is the clear number three passing option on this Falcons offense that will be passing the ball a lot, and that third option has value in fantasy football. Sit all Patriots, not name Cam Newton. For starters, this offense is slow. The team is passing at a wildly low rate, and the Patriots operated the slowest situation neutral pace in week one. The Pats' RBs were already impossible to figure out, and now you have Cam taking 8 to 15 attempts a week. This is just bad news for any Patriot running back. No running back saw more than 10 rush attempts in week one, and I don't expect that to change. Usually James White is in there as a PPR guy, but this offense isn't passing a lot, and it's moving a lot slower, so James White really isn't in play. This isn't a drop James White situation. There's a way this running back room sorts itself out. James White's a hold, but I'm still benching him until I see otherwise. This offense is also bad from a wide receiver perspective. While Cam's 19 attempts will likely be below his 2020 game average when all is said and done, it wouldn't shock me to see the Patriots in the bottom eight in terms of pass attempts in 2020. Edelman is usually the surefire wide receiver here, but his 59% snap rate is a bit concerning, as he hasn't been seeing the field especially in some run situations. And this is going to be a running team. Edelman is still a low-end wide receiver 3 for fantasy, but the ceiling is severely capped, and the floor wasn't what we thought it was. The Patriots are going to be slow, they're going to be boring, and they're probably going to win 10 games. I suppose Edelman is a weak flex play. You don't have to bench him, but there's some guys that would start over him like CeeDee Lamb, Marvin Jones, John Brown, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson above Edelman this week. Speaking of a couple of those Panthers, I would be flexing 
Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson this week. Surprise, surprise. The Panthers tossed the ball 34 times last week with one of the highest over-unders on the slate as 7.5-point underdogs. I totally expect that number of attempts to happen again, if not slightly increase. You're obviously starting DJ Moore, but Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel are both solid flex plays this week. We saw at least a 75% snap rate from both of those guys, and the pass attempts were severely concentrated to DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel. Yes, CMC only saw four targets. That's probably going to go up, but I see the majority of these attempts really going to these four guys. Add in the fact that the Bucks arguably have the best run defense in the NFL, and it gives me confidence that the Panthers are going to be down, the Panthers are going to be throwing, and they're going to be throwing towards Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel once again. Acquire Cam Akers. With the Malcolm Brown coming out partying in week one, Akers is now almost a forgotten man. There's no doubting Malcolm Brown outplayed Akers in week one. Brown was the better back. That is just the way it works. However, there's no arguing Akers is the more talented back. I was touting in all of the preseason on my Fire and High podcast that rookies are at a severe disadvantage in 2020 with a shortened offseason and zero preseason games. The fact that Malcolm Brown outplayed and outsnapped Akers out the gate isn't a huge shock. What's more of a shock is the lack of play from Daryl Henderson, but I digress. I think it's important to note that Akers faced eight-man boxes, the second highest in the league at 42%, while Malcolm Brown got the same treatment at only 16%. This likely played a role in some of the efficiency. I totally expect Malcolm Brown to be the lead guy again here in week two, but it's worth poking around and seeing if you can acquire Akers for a guy that was super hot in week one, sit Akers on your bench for a couple weeks, and wait for him to break out. It's only a matter of time before he overtakes Malcolm Brown's role. That's going to do it for Tyler's 12 tips for week two. You can find me on Twitter at FFTylero. That's all we have today, folks. Don't forget, tell somebody you love them. Later.